meet you to see you all. On behalf of Ukrainian Think Tank Lezon Office in Brussels and our partners from Center for Economic Strategies and of course the Bruegel, our today's host, it's my pleasure. My name is Olena Karbu and it's my pleasure to welcome you all here at our today's event on uh, Ukraine economy in this talk, turbulent times, political times. And uh, yes, indeed, 2019, a little introduction if for those who, of course, fully aware of where we are now, but just a little highlights of where we are right now. Yes, indeed, for Ukraine's economy, we predict prediction is a little slowdown in, in uh, economy, 2.7% of GDP growth compared to 3.5% of GDP growth in 2018. Then in uh, regard of the political, uh, political environment, as we have just all following, probably, right, all of us, the presidential elections in Ukraine followed now by early parliamentary elections very soon, although the legal basis is still questionable. And then the local elections of 2020 will also follow. And of course, simultaneously, European Union is also, we have just had the elections to the European Parliament just this weekend, and then we'll be following by the composition of the new commission and all the governing bodies of the European Union. And so here we are, in terms of Ukraine, we in 2019 facing the payments of significant public debts. Cooperation with the International Monetary Fund is always very important. So, and this is the environment, the background, which makes uh, these events and all our work is quite important. Because for us, it's also important to understand where we're moving, what to expect, what are the tasks for different parts of society, for the government, for us, uh, what we lay down ahead of us. And to answer these questions and other questions, we grouped together today an excellent group of experts, officials, former officials, <clears throat> but those who are involved in uh, EU-Ukraine relations, in development of the Ukraine's economy, who probably know more and can share with us what to expect. So, and it's my pleasure to introduce our speakers today. Let me please take my notes. And today we have with us Helena Flores, who is International Economic and Financial Relations Global Governance Director in Economic and Financial Affairs DG of the European Commission. Cliff Wyszlinski, Executive Director of today's initiator of the events, Center for Economic Strategy. Together, welcome you here. Marek Dubrovsky, well-known expert on Ukraine and a non-residential uh, fellow at Bruegel. And of course, we have Ivan Miklos, who among his uh, many positions, but now is uh, chairman of the Strategic Advisory Group for Supporting Ukrainian Reform spending, as I understand, 50% of working time inside in Ukraine. So, and here we are today. And uh, before 
we start the chair, I would uh, encourage you all to share your opinions on today's events. Uh, and you have the information all to join the conversation and how to get access to Wi-Fi. And uh, hopefully after interventions of the speakers, we will have enough time for all of you to get your input, to give your inputs, your opinions, to share your comments and the questions. So shall we start? We will start with the clip, right? With, no, you have your mic, yeah. I understand. <laughs> so yeah, but I, need, but I need the clicker. Ah, yes, clicker is just Yeah, clicker here. is here, yeah. And uh, we will start with the general overview. overview of the Ukrainian economy. You want this one? Yeah. Ah, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot that I do have uh, mic here. Uh, so my presentation will just try to explain <coughs> what is the situation in Ukraine now and uh, uh, like what are key challenges and what are key policies needed uh, for Ukrainian economy to become stronger. Yeah. Uh, I decided to present uh, like this general overview in uh, like business format, like the format of SWOT analysis, uh, which is not like very usual way for uh, for economic analysis, but still uh, uh, the situation is uh, uh, is in my opinion good for this way. So like what we have among strengths of the Ukrainian economy now and for the coming uh, year and a half like we generally speak about this period as uh, as a sort of perspective when we want to uh, when we want major risks to be prevented so we have a rather small budget deficit uh, in in the last five years uh, and uh, we have currently rather big leftovers in the budget that were um, Ministry of Finance was rather good in uh, uh, going to the market and like getting as much as possible before the, this period of political turbulence. We have rather manageable current account deficit that is smaller than 4% 4, 4 of GDP. Like among weaknesses, unfortunately the list of weaknesses is um, longer and which is uh, generally longer term, I could say. So we have uh, cluster economic growth of 2-3%, which is lower than emerging market peers, and which uh, is not enough for Ukrainian economy to go fast uh, to the same level uh, when, it, it, when it was in 2007, for example, or 2008. We have the lowest uh, foreign direct investment per capita in the region of Central and Eastern Europe. And decreasing capital stock in Ukraine as investment share in GDP is too low. We have a shrinking labor force because of demographic reasons and, and uh, significant labor migration from Ukraine. We estimate that currently uh, two point, approximately 2.5 million of Ukrainians work abroad at any given day, on any given day. In terms of opportunities, like fortunately, uh, in the spirit of political turbulence, we have a fa rather favorable terms of trade. Uh, currently, prices for grain and steel are good for Ukraine. Uh, we expect the sovereign ratings of Ukraine will improve um, in two years, as performance uh, for five-year valuation period will will be much better and will not include 2014 and 2015 when we had. Uh, uh, 
uh, dire financial crisis. However, threats are also, the list of threats is uh, longer as well, like we have uh, public sector external debt repayment of uh, $20 billion in uh, the current year and next two years. Uh, like for you to compare, it is the same uh, size as the size of gross international reserves of the National Bank of Ukraine. This year, the government should pay $3 billion, uh, like only the government, not other uh, state institutions, uh, in the in upcoming months. And uh, next year, the government should pay $5.4 billion. US dollars. Uh, the big uh, risk factor is um, <coughs> potential decrease or even stop of Russian of gas transit from Russia starting from January 1st, 2020. The should amount to losses uh, of uh, like from 0.4 to 4 percent of GDP next year. And certainly, like we have political and policy unpredictability, uh, like we have. Uh, eight days after the inauguration of the new president uh, last Monday, but still, like, we could not say uh, much more about uh, his policies. So let's look on some charts. Uh, you could see uh, that uh, growth rates for in, uh, in Ukraine were not very fast. Like, fortunately, they were rather stable for the last three years. Like, peaks that you could see are mostly uh, results of good harvest. And agriculture is, is the fastest growing sector in Ukraine currently. And, uh, however, like, with, uh, like, this rather lackluster growth, we have fiscal responsibility. Like you could compare the period uh, before um, end of um, 2013 and uh, last um, four years. And you could see that uh, like we maintain primary budget uh, profit and like positive balance. And uh, like for example, for the uh, for the last month we have data on uh, the trailing uh, government um, general government balance for 12 months was just 2.2 percent of GDP, which is rather healthy for Ukraine. But we are near the peak of public external debt repayments, and this is really like very important, while complicated chart. Like you could see those like 20 billion dollars uh, uh, on, uh, on 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 this chart, like with uh, six to seven billions uh, that sh should be repaid by Ukrainian uh, Ministry of Finance and the National Bank within the three years, and uh, slightly smaller figures that should be repaid by the Ministry of Finance, so they should be collected as taxes and then uh, converted into uh, foreign exchange. And you could see that uh, uh, like when uh, somebody speaks about um, the possibility of sovereign default, you could see that there is a significant share of official financing here. IMF uh, money, EU uh, money, World Bank money, money uh, bonds that are guaranteed by the U.S. Um, state guarantees. So it is not as easy as uh, as it was. Um, like it was not very easy in 2015, but like it is not as easy as the restructuring of private debt. So what the new government should do uh, in uh, economic <coughs> policy? So the first is uh, maintaining macroeconomic stability. 
we uh, we see such like period of periods of economic growth in Ukraine were undermined by financial crisis all the time, and they were caused caused by macroeconomic imbalances like twin deficits, for example, when we had simultaneously uh, large budget deficit and current account deficit. And unfortunately, despite hyperinflation episodes, Ukrainians are still open to populist ideas, and expectations of the government are too high, and public sector is still too large, especially to the quality compared to the quality of governance that we have in Ukraine. So Ukraine must maintain the central bank independence, must maintain prudent fiscal policy, and build trust with its creditors, and not to do what uh, uh, like one of Ukrainian oligarchs close to the current president, Igor Kolomoisky, uh, recently proposed in the interview to Financial Times. Uh, and you could see here like why it is so important to have sustainable economic growth. Because uh, like, there, uh, there is an analysis done by the IMF and like I took it from Dragon Capital Report that shows that uh, the biggest problem for Ukraine is that um, we had too many years of real GDP decline. In, in the last 22 years, we have eight years when Ukrainian real GDP declined compared to, for example, zero years for Poland, our closest neighbor and now uh, the biggest uh, consumer of Ukrainian labor force. So then the second uh, area where the government should focus on in economic policy is increasing productivity. Uh, so like two main policy reforms that we need to do is opening land, farmland market. And uh, like we, uh, we had, um, like two months ago, we had a very good study published by the World Bank um, and authored by the World Bank economists. And uh, they did a very detailed analysis of uh, potential economic growth of Ukraine. And they came with the idea that the only resource that Ukraine has to push economic growth uh, significantly is uh, uh, our land, our natural resources, because like all other resources are in rather dire situation currently. So uh, passing the law on the circulation of agricultural land and uh, uh, thus cancelling moratorium on, on farmland mark uh, land sales is uh, a key reform. Uh, the second key reform is large-scale privatization, and it is not just about like those um, companies that are in the process of privatization. Now, the most important is to significantly shorten the list of uh, enterprises prohibited pro for, pro from privatization. We believe that all state-owned banks should be privatized. We believe that uh, uh, some so-called jewels of the Ukrainian economy, like strategic so-called strategic enterprises should be researched uh, in terms of uh, like their future because like for example if we speak about uh, energoatoms that operates nuclear, nuclear power stations it should be open for investment for example of EU nuclear operators we uh, the same goes to Ukrainian railways the same goes to Ukrainian gas transit system like we should uh, uh, attract more investment into it and state generally owns too much in Ukraine and the third is like free trade and capital, which is very important also for uh, for the integration with the European Union. So we need to simplify and streamline customs procedures, focus on infrastructure bottlenecks, 
uh, that are inevitable as Ukrainian trades refocused from Russia to the, to, to the European Union. We need to liberalize capital controls and foreign exchange regulation. So we need to make Ukrainian companies more competitive in the global value chains and more open to investment. What the government should do in other areas? The number one is establish the rule of law. So investment risks are still too high and the lack of trust to judiciary and widespread corruption are top obstacles for foreign investment in Ukraine. Like you could see here, the results of the surveys that we conducted for four years together with the European Business Association and Dragon Capital. And you could see that corruption and uh, lack of trust in judiciary are top two for all four years. And for example, military conflict with Russia, uh, even in 2016, was just on the third place. Uh, another two areas uh, that are important is restoring labor force and increasing human capital. Uh, we generally need to increase labor participation rates uh, by introducing more available daycare facilities for working mothers. Uh, we uh, to work in mothers. We need to rethink higher education. Ukraine uh, spends too much on higher education. 80% of uh, uh, people of like pupils that are graduating from schools go to universities and 50% uh, of them uh, or even more are financed by the state while we see decline in uh, labor force in Ukraine and they are generally uh, just losing years uh, in uh, low quality uh, universities of Ukraine like even if we have some the government that wants to do something uh, uh, that is on the verge of populism, like we should stimulate birth rates uh, that are still very, very low in Ukraine. We need to rethink migration policies, like both uh, we need to care about our migrants abroad, but also we need to open labor market uh, carefully. Like for example, like we had a good experience of uh, unilaterally opening um, Ukraine. Uh, for short-term trips to the EU nationals uh, before uh, European Union opened its uh, borders to Ukrainians. Like, we could consider doing the same for EU nationals and uh, unilaterally open labor markets. Uh, it, it will be a good signal to the European companies to invest in Ukraine. And also we need to invest more, more into healthcare. We have lower share of public spend uh, as share of GDP and the share of um, budget expenditures and CEP. So we need healthy workforce. And uh, we need to fight for the EU membership perspective. Uh, like we see from like our analysis that Georgia is the only CE country that was able to achieve progress without the EU membership perspective. Like we still uh, need uh, to understand to which extent it is sustainable and it's only cases of sustainable economic growth uh, were seen in those countries that became EU members during the last 15 years. Thank you. Thank you, Glee. Thank you very much for this quite impressive uh, list of tasks uh, standing on behalf or uh, in front of Ukraine, not only in economic but non-economic areas, especially for me, like uh, establishment rule of law. Which any timeline you have for this? Uh, in fact, it is uh, 
uh, it is rather complicated. Uh, however, like we, we have one tool that could be used rather fast. This tool is uh, high anti-corruption court that uh, recently uh, was established. Uh, like by establishing, we mean. There was there is enough number, enough judges to start um, operations of this court. Technically, it should start working in early September, I believe. And uh, like, in my opinion, uh, this court could uh, uh, could uh, like make real change by focusing on judges, because uh, like I know that, for example, here in Brussels and in the European Commission, like there are mixed opinions on, uh, and also like in Ukraine, the same on judiciary reforms that we saw in Ukraine in the last three years. To which extent was it successful? We believe that. Like the self uh, uh, self cleaning by of judges by judges was not uh, effective enough, and uh, we need to uh, we, we need to either like uh, restart this process, or we need to change like to make those judges that uh, that are corrupt uh, to stop those practices just by fearing that uh, they will be punished by the independent vertical uh, uh, station from national and. Corruption Bureau to High Anti Corruption Court. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hlip, very much. So we turn now on the EU side. Yeah, Ms. Flores, can you share your vision on uh, Ukraine's economy? What are the risks, what are the challenges, and what are the tasks, uh, what you see in front of EU, uh, in front of Ukraine, but also EU Ukraine? EU as well. Yes. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, inviting me to participate in this discussion, where I think we have also much to learn from from colleagues that are more uh, on the ground every day than at least me, myself. Um, I think that you, you really set out uh, here the whole program. So uh, I guess it will not be markedly different, but I will try to focus on a number of things from, from our uh, perspective. Maybe first to, to say a couple of words on what has been achieved from our point of view, which, uh, you know, in such a situation like Ukraine, it, we are always tempted to say, okay, all these things are yet to be done. But I think we have to take a bit of a setback and see what, what has happened and, and where we are in that process. And you, you can have different views, whether you see, you know, the glass half full or half empty. That's a matter of judgment, but uh, in any case, it's not empty. That's what uh, I wanted to say also first. So in terms of macro, I think that it has been a lot of progress. And, uh, you know, since the, the moment of the, of the peak of the conflict, uh, growth has come back, as you showed in the graphs. And yes, it's not a high miraculous <laughs> level, but still around 2-3% positive since 16. It's a, it's a fair, very good situation. Um, if you look at the, all the macro variables, you showed balance, fiscal balance, so public finances have been consolidating and has been managed in, in, a, in a good way. Uh, if you look at inflation, yes, it has decreased substantially. Look at the exchange rate, it remained fairly stable during that period. Foreign exchange reserves have been growing. So just to give a bit of the macro framework, which is pretty good compared to other countries that can be compared, let's say, with, with Ukraine. Now, in terms of reforms, we also think that uh, lots of things have been done. 
um, in particular in the context of triggered by the association agreement with the EU, which also contains the deep and comprehensive free trade area. And this is into force in 17, and we think that has been a sort of the framework to direct the reform process uh, in Ukraine. Um, third point I wanted to make is that in terms of EU support uh, beyond the, 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 the policy dialogue and, and the technical assistance, there is also a, a big bulk of financial support from, from the EU um, through different instruments, but I just kind of to, to, pin, to pinpoint the three types of instruments. One is the macrofinancial assistance, which is what we do together with the IMF in terms of stabilization program. In comparison to what is the normal practice or has been the normal practice in the EU until Ukraine came, well, for Ukraine, all in all, we have uh, been mobilizing 3.3 billion, which is very big compared to what the EU was, uh, was used to do in that front. And the important part of this is that there is a way to really, together with the authorities, with the Ukrainian authorities, to select and prioritize certain reforms that are critical for stabilizing the economy and, and getting an environment that is conducive to growth. So that's one. The second block is the, the grant assistance, which takes different forms, uh, technical, uh, technical assistance, financing, uh, in particular financing uh, very uh, well identified reforms like judicial, public finance management, etc. This is about one billion since for 2014. And then the third part is more uh, investment related, which is the, the mobilization of public and private, uh, private uh, capital in order to finance, for instance, infrastructure investments or SMEs development. So that's, I think, the three types of support that, uh, that are there also to accompany reforms. So all in all, since 14 to 4.5 billion uh, has been the, the, the mobilized uh, capital for supporting reform in Ukraine and economic growth. Now, if we come to the challenges, uh, what I would um, highlight is, uh, first of all, maybe on the macro, you also said it is absolutely essential to keep the macroeconomic stability because that's, that's the basics. If that goes wrong, everything will go wrong. I put it in very simple terms. So it's not something that you achieve and then is a given. It is not a given. I think that uh, you need to, to strive uh, permanently to keep it in, in a good shape. So that's, uh, that's the first point. Um, the second point, and I will come back to, to this one later. The second point is about um, uh, the challenge of debt repayment. You also showed the graph here, so I don't need to go into the details. Uh, this year and next will be quite uh, tricky in terms of debt repayment. Um, so that's, uh, that's a challenge, which means that uh, you also see that link with the first one, because there will be a need to go to the market. So we, can, we will not be able, the Ukrainian authorities will not be able to do it with only public uh, financial support. There will be a need to go to the markets, and it's very important that the markets keep the positive view on, on Ukraine, also relatively to other emerging economies, because I think that we are in a context which we are set for some turbulences in the, in the, in the financial markets, maybe not you know, on a permanent basis, but by, by moments, and emerging markets are uh, not all in good shape. So it's important that Ukraine doesn't get bulk into, you know, with, with the whole package, but it keeps 
the good positive view uh, from the markets for facing that challenge. Now, in terms of reforms, um, the first package that I wanted to point to is what I could put under the label anti-corruption, knowing that anti-corruption to us has two, two aspects. One is more the institutional, and the other one is all the rest that has also an impact on the anti-corruption. So if you remove the possibilities for corruption, and this, I, I come back to the second one. But on the first one, the anti-corruption, what I would say to, to keep it short is that a uh, lot of institutional legal changes have been done. So it's true that you have been pushing a lot for that, and not only us, but I think we have been very, very, very strong on that front. We are now in a moment that we need to see the track record of implementation. So we, we, we need to see that indeed those uh, institutions that are there work and they deliver. So that's one of, I mean, that's part also of, of our macrofinancial <coughs> assistance conditions that are still to be fulfilled is this proving uh, track record implementation. And this goes for the high anti-corruption core, but also for the other agencies. Uh, one of the issues we are now striving with, with our colleagues in Ukraine is this asset verification declaration system that should is there, basically, but there is still some way to go to show that it works, and it works effectively. So that's one example. Um, so lots of progress on the institutional. Now we need to see the implementation. We have also seen some setbacks, like the removing the illicit enrichment from the, from the um, criminal code, some of the decisions related to the private bank nationalization. So this is a bit of a matter for concern. So we have, again, to see that the system can cope with these sort of setbacks and correct them. Um, we have seen the new president uh, taking uh, strong statements on that front. So we have to, to see. Um, that translated into, into facts. And again, as I said, we have quite a number of these conditions in our macrofinancial assistance that we hope will be complied with uh, soon, despite elections and all the rest. But we think that this should be continued and not wait for uh, any new government to restart again. Now, to the transformation of the economy, um, I see uh, a number of uh, elements. One also has been mentioned is about the state-owned enterprises. Here, I think there are two aspects. One is the governance of the SOEs, and the other is the privatization. The two are, to me, equally important. So uh, progress has been made on the governance. Some uh, enterprises have uh, had these uh, supervisory independent board members uh, uh, established, but it's not yet finished. So the process should really go until the end and, and covering the whole range of enterprises, and together with that, the privatization in, I would say, in, a, in an orderly and efficient way uh, to avoid uh, mistakes and surprises, because that's also some areas where other countries had, had good and bad experiences. So one has to do it in the right sequence, in the right way also. Uh, then energy sector, uh, this is very critical, and this is also linked to removing reasons for corruption. So. Um, we have also been pushing very much to uh, adopting the new legislation, market legislation for electricity and gas, which is there. And now implementation, our judgment is that implementation is low for the many reasons. So that has to be stepped up. Um, in terms of investment, clearly Ukraine needs domestic and foreign investment, cannot just uh, achieve the necessary growth <coughs> with domestic uh, financing. And for this, uh, 
obviously a lot of the reforms that uh, are included in the association agreement have to be implemented to remove barriers uh, and, and, uh, and, and to do the legal approximation to the EU law to facilitate uh, the, the, the Ukraine to benefit and to, to take all the possibilities that offer this uh, approximation to the EU. Uh, the land reform, again, for us, it's, it seems to, to be also a very important uh, element, and, and we know what are the difficulties, but uh, they have to be overcome, because this is really, as you mentioned, this is one of the, I mean, it's the crit critical sector to, to get uh, growth from the current to, to a new stage, and there is a need for uh, improving productivity and a different way of, of, of producing, basically, which is related to the, to the functioning of the land market, basically. Um, another point I wanted to mention is the reform of the tax and custom services that we have also been pushing very much, the separation between tax and custom services. And there are a number of uh, steps still to be taken there. And the aim is obviously to get these two systems functioning efficiently and independently as, as it should be. A final comment on the financial sector. Um, you mentioned uh, non-performing loans. Uh, indeed, um, this is a legacy issue that has to be addressed. And the other aspect that we think it's important is to, to develop uh, the supervision system in, a, in an adequate way, both for banking in the central bank, for non-banking in the corresponding authority. This is, I mean, has been progressed quite a lot, but still there are some steps to, to be taken. And this is obviously very important for the investment uh, point that I mentioned. And the last, uh, the last aspect that I think it has not been mentioned, we also think it's important that growth becomes more inclusive. And this is related to the reform of the education system that you mentioned, but also to the pensions and, and healthcare, uh, and healthcare uh, systems, which is also something that uh, still remains to be done. So that's mm -hmm. basically what I wanted to cover. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. Florence. It's, not, it's good to hear a lot of interflows between the assessments uh, of the current situation and also the tasks. And I hope that this sandwich, as we call it, right approach with the pressure from EU and experts and, and uh, civil society pressure from inside of Ukraine will continue to make impacts on economic uh, growth of Ukraine and reforms. So thank you both for this uh, setting up the stage. And uh, Marek, we are turning to you with another set of tasks uh, and four reforms uh, priorities in Ukraine. Thank you very much, Olena. I, uh, my presentation is mainly on, on uh, agenda of uh, reforms which should be undertaken regardless who will form the new government. The time is very, press, is very pressing. Actually, the title of today's seminar is in precise in the way that should be, instead of a year, should be years of political turbulence. Uh, according to my perception, the last serious reform were accepted by Verkhovna Rada in um, September, October 2017. And given the political timetable which um, Ukraine face, um, I mean forthcoming parliamentary elections and forming government, etc., that probably this break in reforming will take at least two years. So it's high time to, 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 to come back. Um, let me start from macroeconomic um, uh, challenges. Many of, uh, of this issue were already 
uh, here articulated, so I will not repeat too much. Um, uh, probably where I slightly, my presentation slightly differs from uh, Hrib's uh, presentation is that, that I am not uh, so optimistic on the fiscal balances. Of course, one can say that the deficit of uh, two or three percent of uh, GDP for most of advanced economies like EU economies, so it's not a big issue. It can be financed, can be sustained for a longer period of time, but not in situation in Ukraine, where, where the source of potential finance, uh, finance are very, very limited. And let me uh, give here the picture. This is from, from a recent IMF uh, country report. And uh, it's seen that, that first the debt remain pretty high, it decreased since its peak level in 2016, but still is over 60% of GDP. And most of this debt is debt in foreign currency. And basically, the entire situation uh, hangs on exchange rate. Since 2015, we have more or less stable exchange rate, so the debt stabilized first and then declined, and also uh, inflation went down, and, and uh, several expenditures of uh, budget uh, stabilized. But if any shocks happen, domestic or external, this entire construction will collapse. Probably debt will shot up uh, above 100% of GDP with such structure. And also the chart which was presented by Gleb, it's um, uh, uh, also um, uh, demonstrates another problem. There is a big accumulation of, 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 of debt obligations in the coming two, three years. Um, so basically, again, some people are optimistic Ukraine came back to the market, and indeed, its uh, government's able to borrow something on the market. Uh, but it is possible only because all market partic participants are aware that, that IMF plus EU plus World Bank, etc., remain the lenders of la last resort. If for any reasons this cooperation collapse, Ukraine very quickly remains bankrupt. So, so I think that this is also a factor which I think has also impact on business um, climate, investment climate. Apart from all kind well in, very well-known geopolitical risk, uh, unsolved conflict in Donbass, etc., uh, perception that country doesn't stay firmly on macroeconomic grant is another. It's uh, and situation is macroeconomically very fragile. It's another factor which uh, other things be equal. Uh, decreases the appetite for investing in Ukraine, not only for investors, but also for domestic investors. Very well known that in Ukraine, like in other countries of former Soviet Union, the problem of, of um, let's say, moving um, capital between domestic market and offshores is it's quite easy, despite all um, foreign exchange controls and capital market, uh, capital account controls, and even and even um, current account controls uh, for large um, investment group is quite easy to do, and it's important that this, that this uh, kind of uncertainty is it's, uh, remaining. 
Second thing which was not articulated so far is the financial fragility. Despite enormous effort of National Bank of Ukraine and government, pre previous to governments, to clean up situation in banking sector, the situation still remains very fragile. I uh, personally found in IMF reports the data that non-performing loans exceed 50% of the total loan portfolio. This is enormous amount. And this means that on the top of more than 10 billion, so probably close to 20 billion of US dollars, which already were injected into Ukrainian banking sector in the last five years, probably another several billions will have to be injected to, to make this sector um, sustainable and avoid, uh, avoid banking crisis. So, and this also stress on uh, several vulnerabilities in corporate governance, both in banking sector, but also in corporate sector. Okay, now, um, what can be done to, to, to improve fiscal balances? And also, Ukraine is typical case of twin deficit, largely because of limited capital account um, de facto and de jure openness. And, and limited interest to, uh, for investors. So, uh, despite several changes in the pension system, not only 2017 reform, but also before, where some partial correction of the system aimed to curb various kind of, of, of entitlements and expenditures. The pension programs remain the largest uh, expenditure item. The difference is that in uh, the past it approached something like 15% uh, GDP, then it was 11%, now st stabilized around 10%. But the question stabilized for how long? We must uh, take into consideration demographic trends, which cannot be changed for the next 30 years, if uh, any time. And uh, also we must take into account that, that um, replacement rates, this um, relation between average pension and uh, wage, despite some improvement in 2017, is still relatively low. So if we want to keep system going, avoid its total financial collapse, probably further reform which would be uh, limit the number of beneficiaries of the system unnecessary. Whether they will be done by increasing retirement aid or, or further increase of number of years which qualify to receiving um, uh, pension benefit, this is a technical matter, but something, this process must be continued. Um, now also was thought about energy sector reform. There is a few issues here. Uh, in 2016, the Groisman government did a, a large step forward in um, bringing gas prices to cost recovery level, but then this, this achievement was compromised in many ways. So basically, it's the problem of keeping gas pricing of, on a market level and then move towards uh, market determination of gas prices, which this is obligation taken by government vis-a-vis -vis IMF 
which should happen as far as I understand in 2020, but I understand there's many question marks, political question marks, whether it will happen or not. NAFTA gas restructuring, which was to start a few years ago, didn't start. Um, then the same concerns, elimination for domestic gas production, which is very much uh, dependent on, on licenses uh, and, and many other tax regime, uh, production sharing agreement, and this kind of stuff. And then more general energy market regulation, which uh, also rise, including uh, or maybe especially electricity, which was also source of many controversies and also definitely as uh, a large source of rents and corruption in Ukraine. Um, okay. Sorry, 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 something doesn't work. Other structural reforms, they were already mentioned. I would probably add uh, uh, abandoning uh, monopoly of Ukrainian railways for cargo transportation. Um, also, uh, privatization is uh, important not only for improving business climate and microeconomic efficiency, but eliminating uh, corruption, probably is one of the largest remaining source of corruption, and also for reducing uh, public debt. Selling some large enterprise or banks then can reduce the public debt <coughs> to GDP ratio, which, which is uh, it's probably this is the main re remaining SARS which can help situation. Now, um, despite that I am economist by training, but um, dealing for so many years with Ukrainian reform, it um, also suggests some um, lessons regarding political system, political reform. And I think that some of them um, needs uh, really some serious approach. First is constitution, which is simply dysfunctional. It, uh, it's two head executive with potential for conflict. And then is the difficulties with forming parliamentary majority and government, even if formed. Then there's question whether government can effectively work and keep its majority in parliament. And then is also a lot of contradictory rules and interpretation, which were we were witnesses last week, for example, when this parliament was dissolved, whether it was according to constitution or against constitution. Then another question is mixed electoral system, with especially uh, seat uh, constituency, creating a lot of, of corruption. And then is unsolved problem of financing political parties and election campaigns. Then are majority rules in uh, Verkhovna Rada, because we have 27 vacancies in Rada, actually the majority for legislation, constitutional changes are, is larger de facto than, than, than um, it, uh, it should be according to constitution. And also, by the way, moving to totally proportional election system could avoid these vacancies. Then, decentralization is a very important issue, was only partly accomplished by some uh, progress in voluntary consolidation of smallest territorial unit, uh, units, chromadas, and by fiscal decentralization, but both 
uh, are not sustaining because they don't have constitutional um, basis and constitution uh, changes were blocked because of the uh, they were in one package with the special status of Donbass. And other institutional reforms also mention uh, judicial system. I would add here police and various kind of law enforcement agencies. And I might say that it's not a unique problem for Ukraine. This is a common problem for all countries of former Soviet Union, perhaps even some countries Central Eastern Europe, that this is a large source of, 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 uh, um, of uh, business harassing, of, of uh, extracting rents, of corruption, of inefficiencies. Uh, and something was done, but it's a long uh, way ahead to, to complete this kind of reforms. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mar Marek, uh, first of all, for stressing out the painful or actual points in uh, Ukraine economy and especially stressing uh, on importance of uh, continuing cooperation with the International Monetary Fund and a special thank for bridging with the political environment and it brings us to our next uh, speaker. Yes, indeed. So political environment changed, political difficult political environment and tasks uh, in the economy. So the floor Thank is you. yours. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Let me start by saying that uh, I agree with everything that was said and uh, this kind of uh, a relatively different view on more optimistic by Hlip and more pessimistic by uh, Marek, I think I'm, I'm closer to Hlip's view in short-term perspective, but then closer to Marek's view in mid-term perspective. I will explain why. It is, it is connected with the politics, of course. Which means I will speak, I will not repeat what was said because, uh, I, as I said, I agree. I will speak more about politics and political economy of reforms. As we all know, reforms everywhere, not only in Ukraine, are, are even more political challenges than technical. Speaking about what was necessary to do, everything is written in the program of the government, in program with the IMF, in association agreement, in strategy 2020, which means in all these official documents which have been passed in in uh, in Ukraine five years and five and four years years ago. I will not uh, speak about what was done. I will more try to answer why not more, because this I think I think important. Why it was not done more during these, these uh, five years. And I think there are two kinds of arguments why. First are objective. I mean objective, which means there have been two unrealistic expectations what is necessary to, to do, and then it was simply impossible to, to meet all these expectations. But then they have been also subjective, which means it was possible to do more, maybe not to meet all these expectations that now, in one, two years, everything will, will, be, will be done. But of course, it was also a lack of uh, will, courage, and leadership to do these reforms, both of these. And then the result is that we have now kind of narrative, both outside Ukraine, but also, also inside U Ukraine, that ah, almost nothing was done, still it is huge corruption. People's dissatisfaction is, is, is really, really big. Then. Uh, result, presidential elections results are, are good evidence, evidence of this. Why? Firstly, I think, uh, as I said, reforms, the, the most important preconditions for successful reforms are leadership, ownership, and communication of reforms. 
Leadership means that we have to have leaders, political leaders, who have vision, will, and courage to do reforms. They are convinced about necessity to re do reforms. They are fighting for reforms. They are communicating, and so on and so on. It is connected also with this ownership. Ownership means that politicians are doing reforms not because pressure from outside, from financial market, from the EU, from the IMF, but because they are convinced about necessity for improving people's, uh, people's life and, 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 and competitiveness of economy and create preconditions for high and sustainable economic growth. And communication means that, that uh, they have to communicate, they have to spend a lot of effort, almost all energy possible, to fight against populists, to explain why reforms are necessary, and so on and so on. In Ukraine, I'm not saying that there is no leadership. I'm not saying that there is no ownership. Uh, but it was insufficient to, to achieve, uh, I mean, big, better, better results, let's, let's say like that. Firstly, we have to understand, understand, in my opinion, also observers outside, that this old system, this oligarchic, corrupted, non-functioning system was such deeply rooted that to change this is really, really struggle and, and difficult, difficult task. If you can imagine just what, what happened. Successful countries like Poland, Czechoslovakia at that time, at that time when communism collapsed, it was, it was the breakdown of the old system. And on, on this institutional vacuum, it was created new system of functioning market economy with problems, but it was. In Ukraine, it didn't happen, and it was created this oligarchic corrupted system where oligarchs really <laughs> captured the state, and they have unlimited political economic power, and corruption is not only on the highest oligarch level, but all in all levels of the society. Then what happened in 2014, in revolution, after Revolution of Dignity, the old system, this oligarchic system was not disappeared, not collapsed. When new elites came to power, we can even say that there were no new elites. They were part of old, old elites, more pro-reform and more pro-EU integration, part of old elites. But all power, especially economic power, power in media, power in judiciary, in law enforcement institutions, have been held by old oligarchs, businessmen, politic, po po old politicians, old elites. Even significant part of MPs in new elected, newly elected Rada in 2014 have been influenced not by real program of real parties which had ideological kind of background and so on and so on. Which means in this situation, this struggle, this was really struggle because those who who had power, all media, electronic media, especially TV channels are very influential in, in Ukraine, have been held by those. Which means why, maybe I will, I will change question, why in these conditions it was for the first time, because this is the, this is the point, for the first time during the last five years, system is changing. System is changing towards functioning market economy from oligarchic, corrupted, non-functioning system. Still only partially, it was not done, done enough, but good question also is, okay, why it is possible if they had such kind of, of unlimited power? Firstly, because, and this is very important, after Russian aggression, price was huge, 17% in two years recession, losing a part of territory. But on the other side, it was solved the biggest problem of, uh, or precondition for Ukrainian reforms. It was cancelled, uh, this geopolitical ambiguity 
which before existed and before, if it was not there, maybe go there, you know, country was divided, which means it was created one political nation, Ukrainian political nation, and majority will to go to EU and to do reforms first. Second, strong and growing influence of the NGOs, also media, I have to say, are playing important role in this regard. Because, yeah, majority of them are still under ownership of oligarchs, but oligarchs don't like each other, they're fighting each other, and finally you have plurality and, and openness. Yeah? Then IFIs. IFIs, and not only IFIs, but also Western partners and European Union, it played also a very, very important role. And then new young people. New young people also in the government, also in, in the parliament, which was decisively, decisively important. Uh, Subjective reasons, uh, which means objective reasons, was, reason is that it was impossible to, to fulfill these expectations. You know, because by public opinion polls, immediately after, after Euromaidan, when people have been asked, what do you expect as a result of this revolution? The main answer was majority uh, uh, expected to, to put oligarchs in the, to the jail and to increase uh, salaries and, and living of standard. Despite of this, what came? Recession, devaluation, reduction of the living of standard. But of course, not as a result of, of reforms, as a result of lack of reforms 20 plus years before and Russian aggression. But because it was not communicated enough, then of course, this kind of general dissatisfaction grew up. And now we are in a situation, in a very strange situation. For instance, what Prime Minister is correctly arguing, also on TV, during the last three years, in dollar terms, Minimum wage was increased three times. Average wage was, in dollar terms, increased two times in three years. Uh, pensions have been increased maybe, maybe one, uh, two, two and a half times. Despite of this, it is huge dissatisfaction. Also because expectations have been even higher, but I, I think mainly, even, even more important, is that people feel unjust. Because not only this recession, but also nobody was punished for everything this. And we cannot say that, that corruption uh, doesn't exist. Still corruption exists, especially because we don't have sufficient enough progress in this uh, punishment, in this law enforcement, in this, in, this, in this part of the fighting against corruption. But what we have, and very good illustration for these expectations and... and, and, and not fulfilled expectations is, if people now are asked in Ukraine, uh, did you give more bribes as in the past, or have you been asked more for the bribes as in the past? The, the average answer is no, it decreased significantly. But if another question is, do you think cor corruption was decreased or increased? They are answering increased. Which means because they are not comparing today's situation with the past, they are comparing today's situation with their expectations. And this is, this is, of course, politics, which means, which means it is, it is uh, uh, connected with, with this. Now, uh, what, uh, another problem which was mentioned also by Marek is the political system. A division of the executive power between president and, and government, if of, of course very, very risky, it creates a lot of tensions, a lot of transaction costs. It is, it, is, it is obstacle for doing reforms more effectively and quicker. On the other side, it is necessary to say that it serves as kind of insurance against authoritarian regime. Because if power is concentrated in one place, then it is easier to take power and to have a regime like in Belarus or, 
or, or Russia. But still, it is, it is the problem. It is one of the reasons why it is not going, going on such, such quickly. Then another problem, which was again mentioned by, by, by Marek, but let me explain why I am also optimist, but also, also careful optimist and maybe, maybe mid-term a little bit pessimist. In Ukraine, it doesn't work like in other countries, like Central European, Western countries, that we have coalition majority in the government. This coalition majority is supporting coalition government. Coalition government is preparing legislation, reform legislation, and then this coalition majority in parliament is supporting this legislation. And opposition is against in fighting with the, with the government and with the opposition. No. But it was never like that in, in, in Ukraine. When we did uh, analysis of, of the relationship between government and parliament during the last 27 years, from the beginning of the creation of the Ukraine, the highest support for the, for the government legislation was during, during Azarov's government, during Yanukovych. It was 55% only. Only 55% of the government legislative proposal have been passed at the time. During the last five years, it was somewhere between 35 and 40%. Can you imagine when, when, when Slovakia, when I was in the Slovakian governments, when we did reforms, for instance, uh, 2003, we have been the most uh, reformed government in the world by the World Bank, and I looked at this. We, government, prepared 298 uh, law proposals, 297 have been passed in the parliament. One was not passed. Then, in Ukraine, it works like that. You have coalition, formally you have coalition, and formally you have opposition. But every legislation proposal is a struggle and, and trying to find a majority, despite if it is coalition or opposition. And majority of, of, of legislation which was passed finally was not prepared by the government, by, but by the MPs. And now question, okay, if it is the same in this, in this regard, how it is possible that now, now this is different? Different because now system is changing. Now reforms are going on. They are going on, maybe not such quick, but they are going on. What is the main reason of this qualitative change? That before this system was used for West, vested interests, uh, Nero groups' uh, interests, and now it is somehow going on. Decisive are new young MPs. We call there is a well-known group of uh, Euro-optimists. There are about 50, 60 MPs, almost young and newly, new for the first time MPs in the parliament, and they are decisive force. Usually they are voted, and they are in all political parties, coalition, opposition, usually they are voted in favor of reform legislation and against detrimental anti-reform legislation. And now, why I'm optimist, and but also also <laughs> careful optimist. I'm optimist because I expect that now, despite of uh, unclear what will be real policy, because if you have new president and new political party which is going to win elections which didn't have program, didn't have team, then of course it is very difficult to expect what will be his policy. But at least this party, new uh, Vakarchuk's party, other parties, even Poroshenko's party, they declared that they will propose new people to the parliament. I'm also optimist because we can expect that it will be even bigger proportion of the new, young, let's say pro-reform people, which will hopefully speeding up the, the reform process. Second reason why I'm optimist is, but mainly from the short-term perspective, 
is the real situation, it was explained by Marek, by, by, by Hrib, that now, this year and next two years, Ukraine has very high payments of debt, of foreign debt. Which means now any government who will come, any, despite who will lead this government and, and what will be the composition, will have only two possibilities. Either to continue in cooperation with IMF, EU and, and others, or to go to default. Of course, default means devaluation, reduction of leading of standard and so, so on, and losing confidence and trust uh, among, among creditors, which means, which means I expect that any kind of government will have to, at least because, because they will want to avoid this, this scenario. What I'm more afraid, and then we have this higher proportion of the new, new MPs, which is another argument for, for, for continuing reforms. What I'm afraid is that from midterm perspective, after overcoming this most difficult period, period of dependency on the, on the official financing of the program, and we can expect that it will be overcome in a few years, then I'm afraid mainly because I don't see and I don't feel strong enough ownership of reforms. Let me give you just one, and I will finish by that, one example, tariffs. Gas tariffs are in Ukraine, it is the most sensitive topic. I haven't seen any politician in Ukraine who is saying we have to do this because it is source of corruption, it was source of dependency on the Russia, it was source of underdeveloped uh, our energy sector, it was source of very low uh, energy efficiency, which means if, 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 if government and, and all politicians are arguing, yes, we have to do this because IMF is pushing us to do, and others are fighting against, are proposing immediately after taking power to reduce tariffs again for the, for the 50%, then it, it could be dangerous. Because if this leverage will disappear in a few years and it will be not replaced by strong ownership of reforms, understanding of the situation, but it is impossible to have without communication, without fighting, without, without explaining. And this is what I what what what, what I what I miss, which means uh, this, and hopefully hopefully it will we still have time, which which is my in my opinion the most important is to use this time this next uh, three four years during which it will be necessary to 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 help to, to to change this situation to communicate to explain and to to strengthen this ownership of of reforms. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Miklos, for picturing out these really particularities of Ukraine system, explaining how it is really works and what you should consider in order to evaluate uh, Ukraine's uh, development. And of course, thank you especially for this ownership message. And now, turning uh, to, all, uh, to our audience, uh, we have now, yes, quite some time for the questions and answers. We have seen the picture from different angles. Uh, people are living, uh, not very interested <laughs> in asking questions. But those who are staying and have particular questions, yes, I see uh, firsthand. Uh, please feel free. Yeah? Shall we? Yeah. My name is Delia Manu. Oh, I don't need it. Thank you very much. So I'm representing an American company, Direct Computer Resources, as well as a huge organization in the States, Internet Security Alliance. 
and we are deeply involved in data security and data protection and cyber security. It's okay like that? Oh my God. Yeah? Okay. So I start again. Okay. My name is Delia Manu. I represent an American company here on a European territory, Direct Computer Resources and Internet Security Alliance organization located in the States. We are deeply involved in cybersecurity and the protection of the data. I'm coming here with very um, a lot of interest because I hope that everybody here and even out of this sale is very interested in what's going on in Ukraine. In Ukraine. And I think that we know the concern of the people. I just try to read all and get all the documentation possible via media and so about Ukraine. We know that it's a deep conflict in between Russia and Ukraine. We know that a lot of countries we discuss, and it's very clear here, I think, what's going on internally, point of view in Ukraine. But I think also so that each country, and most of the countries, you know, from Eastern Europe, like Romania, Bulgaria, Poland, where also corruption exists for, oh my God, and everywhere. How do you protect and how do you think, because economics and moving forward, as you described here, and all the issues that you face, you cannot do that without a protection. And I'll just split my question in two. First of all, uh, it was told to us that, uh, you know, the gas eventually would be cut by the Russians from here in 2020. How Ukraine just plan it's very important, I think, beyond all kind of oligarchical interest, it's the interest of the country that needs to survive. If we want peace, we just prepare for the war, okay? So how do you, how do you support or what, how, how do you see that eventually the government, the country, the other entities, you know, private sector, public sector, will eventually replace or just get independent from this, what we name, you know, dependence of Russia? This is one thing, because past year I assisted to a very interesting uh, event organized by Hungarian and Romanian authorities, and they just bring bridges and channels, and so they both go via Romania and Hungary in order to get independent from Russia. Second question, knowing what happened in Estonia, and we were just deep involved with like providing with cybersecurity advice, so if, you, if something like that occurs in, uh, in Ukraine, how you prepare people and a crisis you know, entity and so on in such, in such a way that you can face an eventual this kind of cyber attack coming from the Russians? It's not the first time and unfortunately not the last time that they will do so. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, regarding the gas in Russia, Ukraine last uh, maybe two years is not importing any, no, no cubic meter from, from Russia. Everything is imported through Poland, Slovakia, and, and Hungary. What Harif mentioned, I, I think also Marek, <laughs> is transition of the gas from Russia to Europe. And this is a long-term contract is expiring at the end of this year, and this is the problem that, that no progress in restructuring of NAFTA gas is creating problems with the possibility to, to, to agree new new agreement, which means uh, this is not about dependency of the Ukraine on Russian gas. It is dependency on incomes <coughs> from this, which are significant. It is about 1% of, of uh, GDP, of, no. Three billion dollars, which is, yeah, even even more, even more than uh, about three percent of of GDP. Uh, but what is important? Ukraine before Euromaidan, Ukraine imported 50 percent of its gas of consumption of the gas from Russia. At the same time, Ukraine is the third richest country in Europe for gas and oil, after in Europe after after Russia and Norway. But because this mismanagement, lack of reforms, and especially tariffs, who will invest in the impossibility to, to invest, not opening market, it was impossible to use. Now, current government has plan to be self, uh, self-dependent, no, self, self, 
self-sufficient in uh, gas extraction until 2020. As I know, it is going slower than it was expected. Maybe it will be not 2020, maybe it will be 2021, 2022. But Ukraine can be, but of course, it, it, is, it is dependent on investment, also foreign investment to this new uh, extraction of the, of the gas. And uh, cyber security, of course, Ukraine is, I mean, I mean dealing with this, this problem last five years very intensively. This uh, energy issue, we are very dependent on the European Union, and we are de very dependent uh, like in two dimensions. Like the first dimension is uh, doing as much as possible to prevent uh, Nord Stream 2 to put uh, to be put into operations uh, in the near future. Like we currently. Uh, understands that uh, it will not be possible to start its operations from January 1st, 2020, as it was expected. And it's good for Ukraine, uh, because uh, like the longer the longer uh, will be the delay, the higher are the chances for Ukraine to get the gas transit contract with Russia on a reasonable terms. So which is one part. And the second part is uh, really uh, help in Ukrainian authorities to, uh, to devise a strategy. In fact, for, like as even mentioned, like it was a very, it was a very big problem that having such a strong enemy as Russia and Gazprom, uh, we were not we were not able to uh, to come uh, with a clear path forward. Like how should we increase our own uh, gas production? Uh, what should we do with the gas transit system in terms of, uh, uh, like for example, inviting. Uh, uh, EU companies to be co-owners of, uh, of this transit system or, for example, like having the sort of private-public partnership. Like, in fact, it was uh, like energy policy, unfortunately, was the weakest, uh, the weakest link in uh, Groisman's government that is uh, in the office for the last three years. And to, to, to large extent, it resulted in what we see now. So, uh, so we still need EU assistance in uh, helping to overcome this turbulent period in uh, um, that will certainly occur this winter. Mm -hmm. Thank you. My name is Irina Sklar, actually representing Naftogaz here. I'm from Naftogaz Brussels office. <coughs> she was raised in Naftogaz. Enough to gas uh, was mentioned several times. I don't have a question. I would like to uh, make a remark. Uh, first, to Mark, Stavon, because Mark said that enough to gas restructuring was supposed to start several years ago. It did not start. It did start. It's not yet there. It's not yet finished. And one, it's not yet. Why it's not yet finished? We said it on different occasions. We can reiterate it again. Uh, Nafta Gas has proposed on different uh, occasions to Gazprom to um, mm, reassign the current uh, gas transit contracts, which expires, as was mentioned, at the end of the year, on an independent or not on a system operator. The first blatantly refused. So even even if we were ready right now, we wouldn't be able to do it uh, till the end of uh, this year. So we are responsible for the contract at least uh, till the end of the year. So till the end of the year, uh, um, uh, 
Western assistance states with NAFTA gas. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that NAFTA gas is doing nothing. So NAFTA gas and with Ukratrans gas with our subsidiary currently, we have a timeline of uh, unbundling restructuring process. We see it on our part that we are large, uh, largely in line with this timeline. It can be consulted. It's published on the Ukratrans gas official website. So everyone who is interested is, can consult this. Um, uh, on the question, uh, so yes, uh, just uh, the statement. So we, we could argue whether NAFTA gas uh, or Ukraine was e efficient or not with unbundling as of 1st January, maybe 2nd, 3rd January, but not before. So before it's uh, maybe no ground for discussion, I would say. And on the um, relations with Russia, it was said that NAFTA gas is not buying gas. I would just correct, we were not buying gas for more than three years, not for more than two years. So yes, we are quite efficient in getting independence from this point of view. For uh, gas production in Ukraine, it was also rightly mentioned, we need to increase it. Uh, objective reasons on NAFTA gas side that we had a lot of uh, dividends, uh, rate of dividends repayment to the government, and there was another objective reason. There were no auction for uh, new fields. Uh, as I understand, this auction <coughs> has started, so maybe the trend will change, but it, it was not possible for us at the group to change it before for some objective reasons, I would say. Okay, thank you, Irina, for this precision. And now to Dmitro, we can pass the microphone here. And then we will turn uh, to Hi, <coughs> my name is Dmitry Shkoko, National News Agency of Ukraine. And uh, as I'm uh, working for a wide public, uh, I can afford to ask uh, maybe naive questions. Uh, so my first question is um, uh, to you, Florian. Um, if, uh, speaking in simple words, could you please describe uh, what does it mean for Ukraine to announce default? You know, so that uh, what does it mean for uh, uh, its uh, uh, face in Europe and uh, for uh, East, uh, for uh, European, uh, in particular EU assistance to to Ukraine. The second question uh, is uh, partially uh, answered by Irina, but uh, still, Marek, it, it was for you because uh, recently we had uh, a chief of NAFTA gas coming to. Brussels, and they uh, have uh, held a huge conference in here and uh, stated uh, that they uh, already adopted all the gas legislation uh, uh, to the European standards. So that I just curious, uh, I agree with that or not? Because uh, at that conference, uh, we were speaking about the formation of some kind of uh, uh, energy market, uh, including uh, Ukrainian uh, facilities. This is a question. And for Ivan, if I may, <coughs> uh, we already mentioned that uh, uh, one of the locomotives for Ukrainian economy is uh, the agriculture. Uh, but uh, uh, we can hardly call uh, Ukraine like an agriculture country because it's had uh, quite developed uh, industries. So that. <coughs> Uh, we know that uh, taking any kind of reforms in any country, there are some very separate and exact uh, and just locomotives uh, pushing the economy ahead. Uh, except uh, the agriculture, what kind of what kind of what kind of uh, uh, resources you see in Ukraine? Thanks. Thanks. And here I saw several. Uh, yes, one and the next round. Here, here, here. Yeah, and then you. Okay, you can start from there. Sorry. 
Thanks, Jana Kovzova, Rasmus and Global. Um, I, my question is slightly related to what was asked before about default. The numbers you've given for debt repayment for the next three years are quite scary. Uh, how confident is the panel that Ukraine can pay its external debts for the three years ahead, given that it's by mount count is what, 20% of GDP roughly, of what Ukraine needs to pay? Maybe I missed the numbers, yeah, I just wanted to ask. About 20. And the second question is, uh, you talked a lot about how the macroeconomical situation looks good. Um, and then the challenges and reforms that can lead to improvement include another wave of reforms, which in the short term will have another negative impact on, on citizens' purses, right? If we talk about further reform of the banking sector, gas tariffs or pension system. So how do you see that connected to improving the micro level, the, the, the livelihood of people? Because the, if you ask average Ukrainians these days, you know, how is your economic situation? I think they're not going to give you a very optimistic uh, outlook. So which of the reforms that you've outlined can help improve the situation for people in addition to improving the macroeconomic situation? Or is this the fact that, you know, for the next three years, Ukraine needs to work on macro and, you know, the trickle-down effect will, will be delivered after the next three years and not now? Angela, I, I will ask a question for your news, Lucina, you're active. It's, uh, Can you present yourself? Uh, Angela Kedaitin, I will ask a question for your news, Lucina, from your active. It's one of my affiliations as journalist, uh, volunteering, but journalist. So, um, I, you said in one presentation that uh, how much million Ukrainians left the uh, labor market of Ukraine for other countries. So I want to know what is the situation in the labor market of Ukraine because I can confirm that in Lithuania we have a lot of Ukrainian workers and we're happy about their very good workers. <laughs> but we even changing our supermarkets, let's say, nomenclature for Ukrainians who are coming to our labor market and now they have started to leave to Germany here to France, I don't know, to other countries. So for me, it's interesting what you are doing, let's say, to keep this indeed good skilled peoples in Ukraine. Okay, thank you. So we have now the questions. Yeah, we've got. Who would like to start? Yeah. I could start, yeah. Uh, so, like, there was a question on default and. Uh, and it is linked also to Yana's question on macroeconomic stability. <clears throat> I believe that it will have like very, very, very big impact on uh, ordinary people's life uh, in Ukraine, as uh, as there will be another blow to real incomes. We will certainly have uh, a huge depreciation of Grivnia. It will be another blow to the banking system. And uh, also, um, even more important, it will, be, it will be a very big blow to Ukrainian reputation, to the reputation of Ukraine for a long term period. Because uh, like, there is still uh, a risk perceived by many abroad that, oh, you elected comedian as a president, and then uh, 
like people find out that this comedian is influenced by just one very creative oligarch, and this one very creative oligarch just decided for some reasons that uh, he need uh, to get his money back uh, from uh, the Ponzi scheme that, that he built under the name of private bank, and uh, that's uh, and that is enough reason for uh, for the government of the large country to announce a sovereign default. And uh, on another side, like uh, um, on Yana's question, uh, it is absolutely possible to avoid uh, macroeconomic instability. Like uh, there is a plan that was uh, uh, that was put in place uh, in uh, in your speech uh, uh, on. Um, on, on the help uh, and like on uh, uh, macroeconomic assistance from the European Union, IMF financing, World Bank financing, uh, tap in private markets, and generally, uh, it is just uh, it is not even requiring any uh, insurmountable amount of work to attract the financing that we need for this two and a half years. It will just uh, maintain an IMF program or negotiation in U1. We do not need to do anything that will be hugely unpopular, because like the currently gas prices for that, mentioned, that were mentioned by Ivan are, are already on market level. We do not need to increase those prices. So we do not like when we speak about IMF program conditionality in Ukraine, they are unpopular, but unpopular among corrupt elites and vested interests. Like we do not have to do anything now that will be unpopular among regular people because it will influence their pockets. Like there could be some irrational things like uh, land uh, moratorium or like privatization of state property that could be communicated that should be communicated to general public but there is nothing that will have an impact like for example austerity program for Greece. So it is not uh, the issue of like introducing macro establish a establishing macroeconomic stability by something drastic. No, which is not the case. So it is absolutely just a matter of work that should be done. And uh, like I know, like, as, like on the impact of people, like certainly like you need to, un like it is, it is to more extend the question of what should prevent. And this is really the issue of basics. Because like, for example, in 2008, when we had uh, like uh, repercussions of global financial crisis in Ukraine, I was working in private business, and I just recall that for one month we just had no business at all. Like we, uh, we, we like all our uh, clients and partners were just doing nothing. They, they were just trying to understand what is going on and like what will be the exchange rate, what will be the inflation. What will be the market for their goods and services? And uh, just you, you need not to underestimate the impact of like just pure macroeconomic stability. And then you should build on this by uh, conducting structural reforms that we all mentioned. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay, two issues. Uh, I agree with Hribis that, that that default can be avoided. Um, assuming that uh, macroeconomic policy will be of new government will be responsible. Of course, uh, repayment of, of the debt uh, will require new borrowing. So here will be very, two issues will be crucial: continuation, further continuation cooperation with IMF and other donors, and also 
convincing this part which can be refinanced by markets, convincing markets that, that policy is responsible and, and in some medium to long term can lead to, to, to further decline of, of debt to GDP ratio. Your another point, Jana, on, on cost reforms uh, reminds me the debate from 1990s which we had in many countries and I would say entire region about what strategy of reforms is preferable, whether so-called shock therapy, which in my opinion it always was portrayed in uh, some biased way because nobody likes shock. I, I always call it um, um, fast reforms versus so-called gradual or, or gradual or slow reforms. My argument, and not only theoretical argument, because I think that the advantage which both Ivan to larger extent and me to smaller extent, we had that we also uh, practically dealt with this issue, not only as uh, analysts and policy advisors, but also as policy makers, is that, of course, uh, upfront dealing with some challenges, especially with macroeconomic fiscal ones, uh, they, of course, um, uh, require taking many popular decisions. But if we do this in fast and complex and consequent way, then you can expect um, having um, results of decision relatively quickly. If you, uh, if you hesitate, if you are going slow, then the problem is that you extend period of pain and then also you don't see results. And, I, and in my some kind of comparative uh, perspective, because in my analytical and policy advising experience, I, uh, <laughs> Ukraine is not only country which I dealt with, uh, uh, is the, unfortunately the case of, of, of uh, slow reform traps that, that um, if some things were, were done in more decisive way, in 2014, 15, 16. Today, probably the situation could be better and uh, with less political uncertainty. Well, of course, I, I'm not going to you know, speculate and make any uh, political counterfactual scenario because politics contemporary is very unpredictable. This is another story, but economic situation would be probably better and some uh, fruits of uh, reform in terms of uh, a higher growth would be visible. I also agree with Hep, uh, that, that uh, this reform agenda, which we both presented, all we presented de facto, doesn't require so dra dramatic sacrifices. This, this is uh, actually the main pain was already incurred, and the problem now is avoid a new collapse, a new potential pain, which uh, maybe a scenario if, if um, not only of, of intentional default, because this, I think, is political and economic nonsense, but even if it happens anyway because of the lack of action on time. So uh, here I think the stake is very high, but uh, sooner some things will be decided and done, this is more, uh, more chance that, that people will see some fruits of this effort few uh, years fr from now. Yeah, maybe some comments because we are quite late. Yes. But uh, 
um, on the on the debt and related to that, I think that it, it's important to, to to point that indeed the macroeconomic policy has moved into into the good territory, and now the the, the challenge is to keep it keep the track. So it's not a country that it is in a position to make a huge adjustment on that front. That has has been done, well done, and is a matter of keeping it. Debt debt has been going down since. 16 was 80%, now it's, yes, above, above 60, but still in a downward trajectory. I would say this is what needs to be kept, the downward trajectory. And what is most important is to look at maturities and to look at the borrowing conditions. And it's absolutely essential that uh, the country continues to be able to access both public uh, support, IMF, EU, and private markets at a good price, not at a high price, because then we will not be able to afford it, but the good price comes as a result of macro stability and reforms. So that all that is linked. Now, if in this context now a default would come, what will happen, all this is going to be destroyed from one day to the, the next. That, I think it's the basic, uh, simple language. And that would be a big price for citizens. Uh, Exchange rate depreciation and control depreciation, inflation and non-access to finance anywhere, and obviously no investment because uncertainty in the country, lack of trust, lack of credibility. So I think that's a scenario, even more so in a situation where if that would happen because a sort of political decision, that would be even worse because it's not that the country is in a situation that it requires a huge adjustment, it would be just a sort of political choice, which would be even a worse sign. That's how I see that. And then on just one comment on the energy and other reforms. I think what is really important is to be able to have a strategy that the authorities and the players in the country can explain that it is going to deliver good things the normal people, not for those you mentioned that are uh, benefiting from the system and the oligarchs and all the rest. And, but you need a package. So if you discuss energy tariffs, you have to have together with that the reform of the sector that is going to deliver an efficient uh, energy delivery. You have to have energy efficiency, for instance, that will reduce the cost for people. And you have to have part of this package, something on targeted social transfers that can cope with those that are at the lowest income level that may have a first period of, of really hit, ha, having the heat of this change. So that's the package that you, you have to be able to, to, to explain to the citizens. Yeah, I agree with uh, my colleagues that uh, I don't see any problem with uh, avoiding default in case of continuing in the program with IMF and other, other IFIs. But it will, be, it will be dependent, at least in the next three years, without having this program, it is almost 100% sure that it will be impossible to avoid default. Uh, regarding painful reforms, I very agree. I just to add two things which haven't been said. Firstly, benefits, if you, Ukraine has potential for much higher growth as today is reality. Ukraine has potential for six, maybe 7%, high sustainable growth because its potential is really big and it is now much, much below its potential. But of course, preconditions are reforms, especially investment, especially foreign direct investment, which is the quickest source of, of investment. There are empirical evidences from the all over the world countries that countries which want to grow more than 6% 
longer than 10 years has to have share of investment, all investment to GDP, more than 25%. Better somewhere around 30%. Ukraine has today about 17%. Which means having 27% means necessity to have additional $10 billion every year of the investment. Not only FDI, overall investment, which means public, private, foreign. But foreign investment are the quickest potential source for increase. Uh, and uh, it is connected with uh, your question of what what can be engine of the of this kind of high and sustainable growth, and that's true that today it is it is uh, it is agriculture, but I think it has to be also industry, of course. Ukraine, and I will give you a very brief comparison with Slovakia, with my country. 27 years ago, okay, uh, the the Ukrainians' uh, industrial potential was better than Slovakian. Ukraine produced rackets and Europe planes and Slovakia tanks. Yeah? Overall export in 95, Slovakia had overall export 50% of overall uh, Ukraine export. In 2005, the same. In 2015, Slovakia's export is two times bigger than Ukrainian. We have 5 million, Ukrainians are 40 million. Majority in Slovakian export are industrial products, especially automobiles, but not only, which means sophisticated industrial products. In Ukrainian export, only less than 9% are industrial products. Reason, absence of reforms, restructuring, modernization, investment. How to, how to, to do this, to do reforms, especially what, what is there, the most important is law enforcement, uh, pub, uh, property right protection, privatization, land market reform, uh, demonopolization, deregulation, energy opening. That's it. Thank you. And uh, let me thank the speakers for giving this uh, really rich knowledge of Ukraine's economy and all factors connected to this. And I believe that those who already have left, although we are just a few minutes uh, running out of the planned conference, I believe that it is because they have had already so much information that they needed more time to digest it. Yes? So I would agree with you. I hope you would agree with me. So let me thank again our speakers. Uh, we thank you. And uh, we thank Bruegel uh, for hosting for partnership and to keep your appetite, uh, to feed your appetite with Ukraine's developments. We just want to announce our new uh, activity on the 12th of June on the railway. Uh, reform, which has been already mentioned today, and those of you who are interested, please uh, contact me here, or my colleagues uh, Sergei or Irina. So thank you very much, and let's keep in touch. See you. Bye.